with friends. It's uh, a joy to be with you one more time, and I don't use that word flippantly or lightly. You have made me feel like your friend, and I, I'm grateful for that. I came in Thursday night and have met so many of you over the last several days, and it really has warmed my heart. Uh, my wife, Sarah, and our four girls uh, wish they could be here uh, with me and with you this morning in worship, but they send their greetings from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, to you. Uh, before we look at God's Word, we'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, if you want to open your Bible or your phone or whatever it is. Uh, but before we read that, before we even get ready, I want to bestow a few awards on Covenant Presbyterian Church uh, before I get going. Uh, the first is uh, Best Casseroles of 2020. Uh, what I experienced yesterday morning at the brunch was uh, simply mind-blowing. It was wonderful. Cheesy goodness. I loved it. Uh, the second award is, uh, you win the award for the most pianos and organ-type instruments in your sanctuary. There's three pianos and an organ. Uh, you win. You win the award. So, <laughs> congratulations. Um, I don't know if you know the name Kanye West. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. It's okay if you don't. Uh, Kanye West has been one of the world's most popular hip-hop artists over the last decade or so. Through the years, Kanye West uh, sang about many things of which we cannot speak in worship this morning. Um, some of those things had vague religious tones to them, and some of them were outrightly irreligious and sacrilegious. Last year, we began to see cracks in the facade of Kanye West. And at the beginning of last fall, Kanye West had professed faith in Jesus Christ. That he, has, he had and has become a Christian. And as things like that go, oftentimes we, we have a mix of, of joy and exultation, but also fear and, you know, kind of waiting for the next shoe to drop and him do, do something crazy or, or denounce the faith or something like that. But by all accounts, it's, it's taking and that the gospel has actually come to him and he's become a new person. Last fall, uh, popular talk show host Jimmy Kimmel was interviewing Kanye West on his show, and he asked him in that interview and said, so you're a Christian artist now. Some of y'all may know what Kanye said in response to that. He said, I'm a Christian everything now. The name of Kanye's current tour is called Sunday Service, and by all accounts, it's more like a Sunday service in a church than any other hip-hop concert you would probably go to. And on top of that, his most recent record album is entitled Jesus is King. If you know anything about Kanye West or if you've only hear, heard it th now this morning, you would say that this is a miracle that Kanye West has been converted to Christianity. As we come to worship this morning, we're wrapping up the missions conference, obviously, and on Friday, um, we took a look at the idea of a 2020 mission of God and asked exactly what is it that we are doing in the church today in partnership with God and his mission. And last night, we looked at the 2020 vision of the church and sought to learn how to communicate the gospel into our particular cultural moment that we find ourselves in. This morning, we are gonna take a look at what happens when that mission and when that vision come together and the gospel goes forth in the world. And we're not going to talk about it from a current context, though we could see something like that in Kanye's story. We're going to go back to the book of Thessalonians and see how it happened back in the day with the Apostle Paul. 
when we hear a story like Kanye, we might ask, we might well ask, well, how in the world does he get converted to Christianity? How does this happen? And I want to say this. It happens the way that it always happens. That the word of God comes through somebody and the spirit of God opens a heart to receive the word of God. And they profess faith in Christ. They trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection. And someone is converted. They're brought into the family of God. That's how it happened with Kanye, friends. And that's how it happens every time. It's how it happened with you and with me and with these people in the book of Thessalonians. It's a miraculous work and we're going to read about it now. 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 2 through 10. This is God's word, and it says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and in Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Please pray with me before we consider it. Father, we pray that you would meet us now. As we have opened your word, we've read your word. Now as we consider your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts to receive it. And you would bring us alive again this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know if you've recognized this, but as a culture, uh, we are somewhat obsessed, if not fully obsessed, with the idea of wholeness. Think about it. If you want to go on a diet right now, uh, you'll maybe put it out on social media or ask a friend, hey, what's a diet that works for you? Someone is going to tell you the Whole30 diet. You know, it's 30 days of eating whole foods. I I don't know much about it because I've never tried it. But uh, apparently your body goes into shock for a little while and all kinds of fun things. Whole30 diet. If you want to uh, spend your entire paycheck on groceries, you head over to Whole Foods and buy groceries and lots of natural things, I guess. Um, If you want to eat healthy cereal or bread, you choose the kind that's made of whole grains, as opposed to the unwhole kind, I guess. I don't know what the alternative is there. In the medical world, it seems that over the last little while, at least in advertising, the way they market it, that the idea of holistic health care is all the rage, that we don't want to just treat your physical symptoms, but we want to talk to you about your mental health and your diet and exercise and all kinds of stuff. If you watch college athletics on TV, You'll know that universities get a little um, slot of time during those games, and you will listen to them talking about their desire to educate the whole student, the whole man or woman that comes onto their campus um, in, in, you know, in athletics, but in, in academics and socially and in all this. They want to develop us as whole people. And then you have donut holes. 
which is a totally different spelling of that word in use, but we all love donut holes. So that's just in there for fun. As we think about this passage this morning, I want you to be asking yourself, has this whole gospel that is talked about in Thessalonians, has it come to me? Is it making me increasingly into a whole person? And am I, and how am I a part of the gospel going out into the whole world? So that's what we're going to look at. The first thing here we see is that the whole gospel is always about the word. The whole gospel is always about the word. Look at verse 5. It says that when the gospel came from Paul and Silvanus, and that's another, another name for Silas, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to these Thessalonian Christians, it says that it came to them not only in word. Okay, now we're going to go on in a minute to talk about what it means that it came not only in word, but the very fact that it says it came not only in word necessitates and means that it came in word. That when the gospel came forth from these men, these missionaries, to the church in Thessalonica, it came in word. The gospel then is definitely and always about the word. Now, when I was in junior high, growing up in small town Oklahoma, we would pack up the youth van, or more likely a, a group of suburbans from the church or whatever it was, and we would travel up to Tulsa to the Maybe Center there, and we would attend a big youth rally once a year, and it was always kind of the highlight for the youth group, the big trip we did. And one of the things about um, this youth conference, other than just joining with thousands of other kids your age and the, the enormity of that and the, the fun of that, was, uh, was the Christian t-shirt game that would be there at the, uh, the youth rally. And so there'd be vendors uh, selling all kinds of Christian t-shirts and witness wear and all this stuff. And uh, you would have the, the perennial favorite of the, the Coca-Cola script, except it said Jesus Christ and he was the real thing just like Coca-Cola was. Uh, you would have the John Deere logo also saying Jesus Christ and, you know, lots of fun. Um, I remember one year, though, the, the hot T-shirt that was showing up on people's chests uh, that week was one that it didn't have a picture on it, no big graphic, but it said very, in a very catchy way across the front, preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. Now, you may have heard that phrase. It's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, from a long time ago, and I just remember thinking, you know, it, the t-shirt did its job, it got me to think, which is like half the battle for a junior higher. Um, but I remember thinking, man, that is strange because we've just driven three hours to Tulsa to for three days sit here and listen to some guy up on the stage use a lot of words <laughs> to preach to us about the gospel. And here's a t-shirt telling me I don't have to use words. Uh, you know, what's the disconnect? You know, t-shirt aside. The point that I want to get at is that the gospel is always more than just action. We're going to talk about it in a minute. It includes action. It includes works. But the gospel is always about the word. There is a propositional truth to be communicated and, and understood and accepted in the gospel. The point that Paul makes, even in this passing way, that gospel is definitely about the word. And that word, which Paul elaborates on it to great length elsewhere, is that if there is no one outside of the reach of God's grace given to us in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, 
Paul would say, of whom he was the foremost, and we would join him and say, no, that's me. I know myself. I'm the foremost. I'm the worst. And God has reached down and rescued me by his grace, and he's pardoned me and shown me mercy. And no one is so good that you don't need that mercy and that grace and that forgiveness, and no one is so bad that you are out of the reach of it. That is the word of the gospel, which Paul says must go forth everywhere and every time. But this whole gospel, which is sufficient to save any and all of us, is never actually just about the word. And that's Paul's point to us this morning, and it's our second point. The whole gospel, for the whole person, is never just about the word. Look back at the text, beginning in verse 4. It says, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's Paul saying here? He's saying that the way that he and these other apostles, these other missionaries knew that the Thessalonian people had been chosen by God, verse 4, the way that they knew that and they could recognize that was because the Holy Spirit had taken that gospel word deep down into their hearts and then they began to see it flowing out into the people's lives. That they could witness the effect that the gospel word had in the lives of these people. And Paul said that you became imitators of us and of the Lord in verses 5 and 6. He said your, your lives, your actions began to reflect and imitate our very lives and actions. Now, as uncomfortable as it must have made the Apostle Paul to see people imitating him, and as uncomfortable as it might make you and me to consider that you know, our children see us and watch us and eventually <laughs> terrifyingly imitate us, Scripture says this is the way it always works. That when the word goes out and when it goes into the lives of people, that those people then, that we then begin to look around us at other Christians, at pastors, at parents, at people in church, at maybe a peer at school, and we begin to see, okay, what is it that Christians are doing? And we begin to imitate them. This gospel word flows out into gospel works. We see this actually very pointedly in Jesus' life and ministry. Think about this for a minute. Did Jesus teach the word? For sure. He was in the synagogues every Sabbath. He was teaching them the word. He was itinerant preaching around the countrysides in Judea and Galilee and all over the place. Jesus was obviously very much about the word. All of his miracles and his great acts of healing and everything, it was always accompanied by the word, by the preaching of the word and repent, the kingdom of God is, is here. But think also about what Jesus said. He said, there will be many who say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Didn't we do great work in the community and lead small groups and, and lead prayer ministries and all these things and volunteer? Didn't we do so much for you, Lord? And Jesus would say, I don't even know you. So what's the warning in that? It's that it is possible to have the word and to even be preachers and teachers of the word and to take the word out, but to actually not know Jesus. 
that, that you can be full in your heads but not know how it plays out in your lives. That was Jesus' big warning for the Pharisees, right? That they knew that they were the people of the book. And they knew it. And yet Jesus said, you're whitewashed tombs. You look so nice on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. But Jesus is also saying it, it's possible that you go do all these things. You have the works, but you don't have the word. So it's a two-edged sword which puts real flesh and blood to what the Apostle Paul is saying, that when the gospel goes forth, the whole gospel, it has to be both word and work. And friends, that's a challenge for us this morning. That's a call for us to consider our own lives. Are we just people who, who do the doctrine thing but really don't do the life application thing? Do we stuff our heads full of meat and potatoes and yet we don't go out and open our arms to the people around us? The Pharisees were, were crushed by Jesus because he would say, you don't even pay attention to the poor and the vulnerable around you. And when those kind of people would come into their midst, they would back away and shy away into the corner and Jesus would embrace these people. So it has to be word and works always. And so you might be asking, all right, preacher boy, <laughs> so how do I avoid that disconnect? How do I keep from going to one extreme or the other? Well, there, there's so many ways that we could talk about that, and, there, and there's so many ways that the Spirit applies the gospel into our lives and, and takes us on different journeys. But the Apostle Paul names two things very specifically in this passage of how it is that we can avoid that disconnect from just having the word or just doing the works. Look down in verse 5. He says that one way is to receive the word with full conviction. To receive the word with full conviction. The second thing is right in the next verse, 6, that we seek to find joy in the midst of affliction. So we receive the word with full conviction and we find joy in the midst of affliction. A couple months ago, I was listening to a, uh, a book on tape. I do that a lot because I drive a lot and... Um, I was listening to a book by the author and journalist named David Brooks, um, well-known in, in some circles, has written for some national publications along the way, but he recently wrote a book called The Second Mountain. And this uh, story is a little bit of, of David Brooks' life journey, to actually to faith in Christ. Um, but it really it doesn't talk as much about that as just what he's learned along the way and the second mountain being what he's hoping to do kind of on the second leg of his life. He's in his 50s or 60s now. And in that book, he is, he's building a different case, but he talks about um, having interviewed criminologists and uh, people who um, talk about and study how it is and why it is that, that people in our country, sadly, atrociously, are committing these, these heinous crimes. And they go into churches and they, they shoot people, or they walk into a school and they do the same. And, He's just trying to understand what brings a person to the point where they would do something like that. And as he's talking to them, and as those criminologists and sociologists are walking him through the answer to that, what he says and what he finds out is that people who do those horrific acts, they don't, that's not the first thing, they just a light switch flips and they go do something like that. He said, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of smaller doors and other decisions that they've made over the course of their life which lead them to walk through the big door of doing one of those terrible acts. 
that there are so many small choices and small doors that they walk through before they open the door of a school or of a church or of a mosque or a synagogue or whatever it may be. And I thought, man, that sounds like the Christian life in an opposite way. Because you see, growing in the whole gospel with full conviction, finding joy in affliction is not, friends, you know it, it's not something that just happens upon conversion. It's not something that you just decide right now, I'm going to go be fine and I'm going to receive it in full conviction and joy and affliction. It is hundreds and thousands of small daily steps and decisions that we make in following Jesus. Repenting of old ways, seeking newness in Christ. Turning from the old, embracing the new. Apologizing to friends and family members and peers for things we've done and telling them we want to change and then taking the steps to change. It's so many small decisions along the way. The Christian life, then, it's not like a fad diet. It's not something we just go do for 30 days and (laughs) have all of a sudden lost 25 pounds and we'll be that weight forever. The Christian life is a lifestyle of repentance and life and belief and then going and doing it again. Repent, believe, go. Repent, believe, go. And to find joy in the midst of affliction, we have to, as Paul says in verse 10, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus and wait for him. Think about what Paul's saying. He's saying that in order to find joy in the midst of your affliction, and if affliction is not your story right now, just hold on, it's coming. But to find joy in the midst of affliction, Paul is saying we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. As the author to Hebrews would say in chapter 12, verse 2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And so when you're in your affliction, you can look at Jesus who when when in his affliction, he found joy. So it is that we can look to him and say, Jesus, I don't understand that. I don't, my life doesn't feel full of joy right now, but you had joy in your affliction. So help me to have joy in my affliction." And you see, the the key to this is Jesus in his affliction, the reason he had joy in the way he had joy is he knew that that cross, that that moment of greatest affliction was not the final word for him. He had been telling his friends and all the people, three days I'll be in the grave and then guess what, I'm coming out. Resurrection is the means by which Jesus finds joy and had joy even the hour of his greatest affliction. And so it is, friends. That resurrection is the means for which you, by which you can have joy in the midst of your greatest affliction. That resurrection, we talked about it last night. Resurrection was the hallmark of the Christian faith for the Apostle Paul. And it's the thing that as he went to Athens and preached in the Areopagus, it's the thing that people were curious about. Tell me more about that resurrection thing. Because the idea of having life not just after death, but through death is what this world needs. And if you'll get to know people, you'll find out it's what the people want. Everybody's trying to run from their pain. Everybody's trying to escape their trial and their difficulty, whether it is in health or in relational matters or in mental matters or in in spiritual oppression. People want to be well. And friends, the Christian gospel is how to be ultimately well. In Jesus, it is the resurrection. It is our great hope. It's the whole gospel which makes us into whole people 
And lastly, we see in this passage how that gospel then sends us out into the whole world. Look back, starting in verse 8. Paul writes, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. A couple of things I want us to see here. Notice that in verse 8, the word has sounded forth so strongly from the Thessalonians that it has traveled not only regionally through Mace- to Macedonia and Achaia, but, but it, and, and that's amazing enough back in that day, right? Because they didn't have too many cars, right? So for that gospel to go forth, like people were putting on their sandals or they're getting on their camel and they are headed out at like two miles an hour. But that gospel had gone forth throughout the region. Central Arkansas had been reached with the gospel back in that day. But it had gone further than that. It's gone beyond that everywhere, it says. So much so that this gospel had gone forth in such power that Paul says that we didn't even need to say anything. Can you imagine a pastor not needing to say anything? (laughs) Paul's like, man, y'all are doing such a good job at taking this gospel out that we kicked it back for a little while because y'all were doing the work of the gospel. You were on mission and you were taking it far and abroad. Miracle of miracles. Verse 9, something more, it says that they report concerning us. Now, who is the they? It's the people who had been reached. It is the Macedonians and the Achaeans in the everywhereans, wherever that gospel had gone out everywhere, they're part of the they in that word. They were reporting concerning us, how the Thessalonians treated us, the reception that they had given to them, and also how they had turned from idolatry. The witness of the gospel in the word and works, it had traveled out into the whole world. The whole gospel had gone out to the whole world. They're talking about the reception they received, how they were welcomed. Do you know that when you welcome people in the name of Jesus into your life and into your home and into your story, and as you seek to get to know them and enter into their life and their world and their story, that the very testimony of that work can travel? And again, as we, as we talked about last night, we hope, and it is our prayer as Christians, that as others interact with us, They are not known, we are not known primarily by the things that we hate and the things that we are against, but we are known first and foremost by our love one for another. Is that true of you? Is that what people would say is on the the tip of your tongue as you engage others and as you hit enter on, on Facebook and put that thing out there? Are you known by your love one for another or more so by the things that you are against? The word and works have gone forth. Now, I get it. We're reading a testimony of how the gospel went forth in the Bible. Like, there is no bigger hall of fame than what we've read right now. And you're thinking, man, but that, that's the church in Thessalonica. That's a big deal. And here we are in little, little Rock on top of this hill. And there's 150 of us. What about little old us? How does that gospel go forth from us? 
in two, year 2000, um, the, the startup, a little startup called Netflix, I don't know if you all have heard of it. Um, if you're older, maybe you haven't, but Netflix is a, a, it's a streaming, a movie streaming, TV streaming company that, that you take the internet and you get movies and everything in your living room right now. Um, it's worth about $60 billion in market cap right now. It's a pretty big deal. Um, in year 2000, as Netflix was just starting up, the founders of that little enterprise, they were on their last leg. The year 2000 dot-com kind of bubble had happened and um, they didn't know how they were gonna last. And so as a last-ditch last effort, this group of execs from Netflix flew out to Dallas, Texas to meet with the behemoth of the industry, to meet with Blockbuster. Now, Blockbuster had, had been in its own predicament as they had seen kind of what was coming with the internet, um, but they were doubling down on videos, right? They brick, the brick-and-mortar store, Blockbuster Rentals, if, you're, if you don't know what Blockbuster is, talk to your parents or your grandparents. Um, but they flew out to Dallas and they went to the headquarters of Blockbuster and they sat down with the execs of Blockbuster. And the, the CEO of Blockbuster at the time was a man by the name of John Antioco. And as, as Netflix pitched their idea to Blockbuster, hoping that Blockbuster would acquire them, and they had, the Netflix people had talked about how they could help Blockbuster and how Blockbuster could obviously help them. And um, <laughs> the Blockbuster CEO asked Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, what he thought Netflix was worth. And Reed said, we'll let you buy us for $50 million. And he said in looking at John Antioco that <laughs> he was trying to be nice, but he said he kind of started like smiling and he was trying not to laugh at poor little CEO of Netflix. And what he said next would be his undoing. He said, the dot-com hysteria is completely overblown. The blockbuster CEO was saying the internet's not going to make it. And so Reed Hastings and his Netflix buddies walked out of there very sad because they thought they were done. Well, there is only one Blockbuster store remaining in the world today. It's in ben West Bend, Oregon, and it's a joke. It actually is kind of a joke. Um, they have a Twitter account, and people visit there to kind of show their kids, hey, this is how we used to do movies. John Antioco looked at Reed Hastings and said, you're so small and insignificant. We're not giving you any money. Friends, when we think about how the gospel goes forth throughout the world, from Little Rock, Arkansas, from Covenant Presbyterian Church, right here this morning after a missions conference, you may feel small and insignificant. You may never have thought you had anything to do with the worldwide reach of the gospel. But I am here to tell you something this morning. The hysteria of the gospel is not overblown. The internet has nothing on the power of God by his Holy Spirit to reach people in this world like we have never seen. Jerry Gibson talked about it. Jim Roten was a part of it. The other missionaries have talked to you all weekend about how the gospel goes forth. And in just a moment, you're going to have an opportunity to respond to that. But before you do write anything on that pledge card, I want you to realize that you are not small and insignificant. But if the Lord Jesus Christ has reached you, and if the Lord Jesus Christ has reached Kanye West, the Lord Jesus Christ can reach peoples and nations that have never heard of him. 
And the gates of hell, which those nations seem to be behind right now, those gates of hell should be terrifying in a way that John Andiocco at Blockbuster should have been terrifying because a new day was coming. And Jesus has promised that every tongue, tribe, people, and nation will know him. What a privilege that God gives us the opportunity to partner with him in that gospel. You see, the gospel has always seemed small and insignificant. It started with a, a baby in a, in a manger in an animal trough. And that baby would grow up and he would teach people who didn't want to listen. And he would be made fun of and he would ultimately be spit and mocked and hung on a cross, dying outside of the city by himself. Small and insignificant seeming. And then he comes out of the tomb. And one person hears about it. And she runs off and tells her friends. And those friends then go and tell their friends. And then Jesus comes back and 500 people see him. And the Apostle Paul starts writing letters about it and, and spreading it throughout the Middle East and throughout the ancient Roman world. And then that goes to Europe and that goes to America and that goes to Africa and Asia. Friends, the, the gospel is going to win because Jesus wins. And so what we get to do this morning, what you get to do every day of your life, is you get to choose to be on that team. And how am I going to be a part of it? How am I going to support it, fund it, pray for it? Go and be where Jesus is at work. Because cheer up this morning. He wins. And he is absolutely at work to do what he set out to do. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you use the small and seemingly insignificant things of this world to shame the strong. You use the weak to upend the power structures of this world. And so would you continue to do that from this place, even right now, as we respond by faith, Lord, letting go of the things that we hold so dear, our money, our plans, our possessions, and we ask you to take these gifts and these pledges and multiply them throughout the world for your glory and for the good of all those who are reached. We pray it and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.